Well, I want to take the, this morning to work at preparing our hearts, and hopefully we've been doing that for a while, uh, getting ourselves ready for life action. We, I think about seven, six weeks ago, we offered some prayer guides to you. Hopefully you've been praying through those. Uh, take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 6. It speaks of a great opportunity that was for a group of people as Jesus came into their town. Speaking of opportunities, I came across a few of these things this week. In 1876, Alexandra Graham Bell had sent a speech down into a device called the telephone. And he wanted to commercialize it. And his vision was that in every city in America, there would be something called the telephone. So he offered to sell the patent to Western Union for $100,000, the equivalent to about $2.4 million. And the officials of Western Union said, this is an idiotic idea. And they passed on it. In 2014, one source said that there are more phones in the world than there are people. In its heyday, DECA was a record label that was the most prominent most popular in the land. And in January of 1961, this guitar-laced, shaggy-headed group of men had a rehearsal on January 1st, and they thought to themselves, this this guitar sound is going to fade away at any moment, and these guys can't even spell the word Beatles accurately. And so they passed, and another label called EMI signed them and the money began to roll in. Kodak, the Kodak film, the Kodak camera. In the 1970s, they had an engineer named Steve Sasson who said, hey, do you realize that we don't only have to print these photos out on paper, but we can actually record these digitally? They said, that is a horrible idea. (laughs) And they buried it. And that decision nearly cost Kodak It's business, as they just barely got out of bankruptcy. And then in the 1970s, a man by the name of Steve Wozniak worked for Hewlett-Packard, and he had a great idea. Why don't we make these computers small enough to actually be in people's homes? And they said, that is a ridiculous idea. What were you even thinking? So this Steve got together with another friend named Steve Jobs, And they made a personal computer in their garage that was called Apple, Apple One. Not wonder, as you think back through those stories, have you missed some opportunities? Maybe land that you could have got for a song, a car that would have been great, maybe an employment opportunity, or maybe something even a little more serious, a relationship that you just didn't put enough into and it cost you. Or think of your spiritual life, opportunities you've missed. Maybe the Lord put it on your heart to share the gospel with someone, and you didn't. And a day or two later, they passed into eternity. Today, what I want to speak to you about is the opportunity that is before us. In just a matter of days, Life Action, this team that will come with musicians, with a children's team, with a youth team, with a a family team that is all about working towards getting us 
to hear the word of God so that we can draw closer to him in a relationship. There is a tremendous opportunity before you, loved ones. And let us not miss that opportunity. So as we look here at Mark chapter 6, let me just provide a little bit of a background for us. This, uh, this uh, past week I read in Mark chapter 1 through 5, just in one sitting, and what I read about was this great gospel tour. I mean, as you read about Jesus in the first five chapters of the Gospel of Mark, he is going along the Sea of Galilee. He is going along the Galilean countryside. He's going to different towns and villages like Capernaum. And you know what's happening? He's forgiving people of their sins. He's calling people unto himself into a relationship. He is working miracles. Some are having unclean spirits or demons cast out. A man with a withered hand is healed. Others that that are a leprosy are, are being healed. Another little girl is being raised from the dead. It seems like everywhere people are going, or everywhere Jesus is going, people are on board and open and being receptive to his message. But this momentum comes to a screeching halt in the first six verses of Mark 6. This message today is a word of warning. It's a word to say, let us not be like Nazareth. Let's not be like these people that Jesus came wanting to bring his life, his words, and his work, and they put him up, put their arms up, and says, you just stay right there. We're comfortable just knowing about you. We do not want you to work in our midst. So the first things we're going to look at here are the ways that they resisted him. But then in our application, we're going to turn those positively and say, let's prepare our hearts in the next six, seven days that we have so that we don't miss the opportunity that is before us. Now let's look at Mark 6, and I'll read the first six verses. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, they began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And Father, as we look at these words today, oh Lord, may we, may we just be afraid that something like that could happen here, that the mighty Jesus, King Jesus, could come in all his power with a desire to, to share the truth, that people would receive it, have their sins forgiven, to work mightily. And there would be a group of people that would say, no, We don't want that. Why don't you move on to the next town? And may we heed the warnings that come from these six verses. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first thing I think we see in this passage is that Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. We see that here in verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Now, having read through the Gospels, you would know in Luke chapter 4 was his first time in Nazareth. This was just right after he went through the testing there in the wilderness. As he came out of that testing, he went to his hometown. This is where he read the scribe and said to them, to this day, this has been fulfilled. And at first they were excited, but by the end of that message, they had chased him up to a hill and they were threatening to throw him off that hill. Hopefully you don't do that by the end of this message to me. But now he returns as an act of grace, likely to see his sisters because his sisters are still there. What do we know about Nazareth? Not a lot. There's no mention of Nazareth in the Old Testament. Do you remember Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verse 46, who said, Can any good come out of Nazareth? Perhaps by the end of this message, we'll understand a little bit more of why he said that. It was an insignificant town. Scholars tell us that it was about 60 acres in size. Some of you have hunting land that is bigger than that. The population was around 500 people. Historians tell us they would not have a New Testament church until the 4th century. Has anyone here been brought up in a little small town where everyone knows your stuff? That's Nazareth. The second thing we see in this passage is Jesus faced criticism in his hometown. Look again here at verse 2. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? Jesus had grown up right before their eyes, and they knew him well enough to know that he had never gone off to Bible school or to seminary. He had never studied under a renowned rabbi. Where did this man get this stuff from? It was a way of saying he must have ripped it off from somewhere. He must have copied and pasted from the internet because he sounds wise today, but he's actually one of us. It also says here in verse 3, Is not this the carpenter? Now in the English language, I think when we hear the word carpenter, we quickly connect that to a woodworker. But the Greek language here is just the word builder. Jesus still builds, doesn't he? But it could have been not only just of wood, could have been of stone, could have been of metal. The, the point is, isn't, just, isn't this man just a common laborer? I mean, did it, isn't he the one that, that constructed that yoke that we use for our oxen or, or repaired the door or made the bed for our, our family? And now, and now look at him. And the next line there in, the, in that verse says, isn't this Mary's son? Now, when we look at Luke 4, the first time he was in Nazareth, they ask a similar question, but they ask, is not this Joseph's son? So why don't they say that in Mark 6? Perhaps two possibilities. One is Joseph could have died from Luke 4 to Mark 6, and he's no longer on the scene. The second could be that this is an intended slur. As I understand it, in, in this culture, A man would never be identified by his mother, rather he'd be identified by his father. 
And it was a way for them to, to kind of bring up what seemed to be a shady past of this illegitimate birth or alleged illegitimate birth of Jesus. And so isn't this Mary's son? And so then we look here in verses 3 through 6. How did the people miss out on this opportunity? What sort of heart attitudes, what was going on in their lives that would say they would resist the work of Jesus in their lives? And this is where I want us to look at here this morning. Jesus had entered all these other towns, went along the sea, called people to himself, healed, cast out demons, raised the dead, forgave sins, but Nazareth missed out. Why? Let me give you four different reasons why they missed out. And please, please listen carefully. First, they were offended by him and his word. You see it there at the end of verse 3, and they took offense at him. The Greek word there for offense is the word skandalizo. It's where we get our word scandal. It means to cause another to fall, to trip them up. Now we know from the scriptures that Jesus is truth and that every word that came from his mouth was true. It was Peter who said in in John 6 verse 68, you have the words of eternal life. The first time Jesus was in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, verse 22, they said that his words were marvelous. They marveled at these gracious words that came out of his mouth. His blameless life and penetrating words tripped up his old friends. The people of Nazareth were comfortable with the idea of Jesus being an old friend but not comfortable with the idea of Jesus being God and authoritative. Jesus, who do you think you are meddling in our affairs? Here in Nazareth, we keep conversation on the surface. Don't you come here preaching to us about what's going on in our hearts, our motives, our affections. We like our sin and we like our secrets. We are comfortable knowing Jesus from a distance, casual, at our own pace, and on our own terms. And Highland Crest, loved ones, if you want to miss Jesus in the coming weeks, have that attitude. Keep him off in the distance. Serve him only on your own terms. What if these people, this group of preachers or musicians, what if they actually say something from the Bible that offends me? Well, then they've done their job. Amen? They're to take the Word of God by the Spirit of God and preach it to us and to tell us where we are wrong, where we are right. And we are to trust God as He has His Word opened up to us. May we be offended. May I be offended. It could be even today that there'd be people in this room, despite hearing about life action every week, you're uncommitted. Will I go to that or not? I like to keep my options open. What if there's a ball game on that night? What if it's a really difficult week at work? What if something breaks in my house? I'm not a prophet but I think there's a really good chance all that stuff's going to happen next week. 
I think it's going to be a hard day on your family. It's going to be a hard day at work. There's a real good chance that something's going to go wrong in your car. Something's going to go right at your house. And you're going to be prone to use that as an excuse not to come. I suspect that's what the people like Nazareth were like. Hey, I don't want to be offended. What if the the teaching gets into my business? Well, that's, that's one way you can miss out on the opportunity of what God wants to do in your life. Secondly, we see here, is we see an issue of familiarity. I'm not sure I have it worded right in the outline, but they exchange sincerity with familiarity. That is this. These people were familiar with Jesus, but they are not followers of Jesus. Look here what it says there in verse 4. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. I don't know if you've found this to be true yourself. Perhaps you have arrived in whatever field that you are in. Maybe you're in medicine. Maybe it's in education. Maybe it's in in business. And, And you, in your own little sphere there in the office, are esteemed and honored. But then you go back home to the house you grew up in. And there's mom and dad, and you get together with all your siblings, and you feel like you're 12 years old again. Can I get a witness of that? That, that can happen, can it? I've only been back to one high school reunion. Um, I don't know if it's because they don't invite me or what it is, but it, it was one in which I, I went back, and it's small town Wisconsin, so where's that going to meet? A bar, right, there in, in the area. And so there I was with all my friends, and it was as if they were saying, you know, Chad, you might be some sort of revered pastor in Green Bay, but let me tell you something. You're with us now, right? And to us, you're still that shy little long-haired hippie that barely got through high school. And we're going to remind you of that all night long. And it could be that we get back, as Jesus got back, and, and they would have said, he's just one of us. But they would have had the benefit of seeing his life. You know, when it comes to familiarity, being familiar with something, it can be dangerous because it can erode our reverence. When we were in our church in Michigan, there was a a young man about my age, and, and he had his own business. And he was very successful in that business. And then there was another man in our church that him and this business owner hit it off immediately. They looked alike. Their families were alike. They had similar hobbies. One of them got a camper, so the other got a camper. One of them got a motorcycle, so the other got a motorcycle. One of them went on a diet, and they both needed to. The other one went on a diet, all right? Their families were similar as well. And next thing you know, the business owner said, hey, how about I hire you, and you can run my business. And I'm telling you, that was a great decision. It was a magnificent match. But what happened was familiarity kind of eroded some of that respect and reverence. And one day, the worker said to his boss, you know what, you're a real knucklehead, or something like that. And the guy said, hey, we need to establish some reverence in this relationship again. And so they had to do that. And you know what? We can be so casual in our relationship with Jesus, especially those of us who've been in the church a long time. Perhaps you've been brought up in the church And you know all the stories from Sunday school to VBS to Wednesday night, Awana. 
In fact, when I, when I opened up Mark chapter 6 and you looked at the first six verses, you began to outline it in your mind. If Pastor Chad really is going to handle this right, this is how he's going to do it. In fact, I listen to so many podcasts. David Jeremiah just preached on this. Chuck Swindell just preached on it. And I'm here to tell you, they're doing a lot better job than Pastor Chad is right now. And I don't disagree with that for a moment. But here's the point. We can become so familiar that we can think that that is actually following Jesus. And it is not. You know, one of the temptations that some in this room are going to have next week is to say, I've heard this message before. I've heard this passage preached before. I've heard this song sing before. And you can sit back as if you have a clipboard grading it. You'll be grading the sermon rather than the sermon grading you. But I'm just here to tell you what we need to do is have soft hearts to say, oh, let me hear that word again. Lord, show me where my sin is that I may confess it and be in a right relationship with you. There's a third way. There's a third way that they missed the opportunity of what Jesus wanted to do in this city or in this town. And that is they hardened their hearts. Their hearts were hardened to Jesus. You see it here in verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there. Now, it does say, except that he laid hands on a few people and healed them. These are some sad words, friends. If ever there were a town that had an advantage over the others, it was Nazareth. This was a town that observed the blameless, holy life of Jesus. And what did they do with it? Nothing. Jesus could have come and forgave their sins and performed miracles, but they had hardened their heart towards Jesus and his message. They had precisely the amount of Jesus that they wanted in their life. They would prefer to be in their sin than to have Jesus. At Highland Crest, we do not want to be like this. We do not want to be like Nazareth. And then finally, the fourth way that they resisted Jesus as we see it here in verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Unbelief in Jesus dominated their lives. The people of Nazareth were stuck in a rut. Their dreams had died. And they said, this is all there is. Life is hard. They're bound up. They're joyless. They're cynical and they're miserable. And worse, they wanted to remain in that state. And Jesus marveled at this. Perhaps the saddest sentence in all this passage is the last one, the last part of verse 6. And he went about among the villages teaching. It's like, all right, well, I, I gave it a go here. And they didn't want me here. So let me go to where, where I am wanted. At Highland Crest, we don't want to be like that. We, we want to say, stay here forever. Do your work among our lives. So, so far, those four ways may, may sound negative, and they're intended to be because there are words of warning to us. Now allow me to flip them by way of application. And let me give you some homework between now and Sunday. Okay, here's your application. Take time to fast, 
and to offer these three prayers this week. So what I've done is I've just taken those four ways they rejected Jesus and then I've I've turned them as an opportunity for you to prepare your heart in the coming week. The first way is not to be offended by Jesus, but to say, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. In other words, say, Jesus, help me to hear truth. Show me, show me areas of sin in my life. Because this life is now my own. My body is not my own. My, my future is not my own. God, you speak to me. And I'll just obey what you want. I don't want to be casual. I don't want to follow any more on my terms. I don't want any compromising. Teach me your way, O oh Lord. It's a direct quote from Psalm 86, verse 11. Here's a second prayer. I don't want to be just familiar. I want to know Jesus. I want to be an actual follower. Yes, I've heard about Jesus. I've been in Sunday school. I actually got a bumper sticker on my car. I wear some of these shirts. And I'm very familiar. I know a lot of the songs. But I'm asking myself, do I, do I really have an ongoing relationship where I'm dependent on him daily, moment by moment? It's just to come to a prayer and saying, I, I want to be a follower, not just familiar. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk with him throughout the day. I want to thank him. I want to ask him for guidance. I want to share him with others. No more playing around. I want to draw close to him. And then the third prayer is this. It's, a, it's kind of a, a verse. It's not a direct quote, but from Hosea 10, verse 12, the breakup the follow ground of your heart. Do you know what follow ground is here in our farming community? Probably many of us do. I could think of my grandfather in the southern part of the state. All the fields that he had, he didn't always plant in every field every year. Sometimes he would leave a field go, and it would just be left for a year, a season. And then perhaps the next year he would go on and he would break up that, that fallow ground. It would be hard at that time. In, in Hosea, in the Old Testament, that's an illustration of our hearts. It, and there's a, there's a plow that's needed to, to just plow up the hardness of our hearts so that we can receive the Word of God. It would be wise for us, each of us, in the days leading up to this Life Action Summit, to allow the plow of God's Word to be tearing up the soil of our hearts so that we can be ready to hear what God wants to say to us. Let me show you your plow. Hopefully when you came in today, each of you received one of these personal revival checklists. There's a lot of resources out there. I I tend to like these things. Uh, This was put together by someone named Bill Eliff. I think it was with Life Action. Um, His wife, Holly, was a spoke to our ladies a few times on women's retreats over the years. What this little packet does, it takes a look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and phrases them in questions, 49 different questions. It said, I'd urge you sometime this week, maybe even this afternoon, to take time to fast. If you are able, if your doctor says don't do that, well, then don't do that. But, but set aside a meal, set aside a day. 
and to say it's more important that I get my heart ready for life action than it is to eat this cheeseburger right now. And take time and work through this little tool to prepare your heart. I'll confess to you, I didn't even get through question number two before I'm like, oh my goodness, I need, I need prayer right now. I don't really mourn over my sin. I feel bad when I sin, but I don't mourn over it like what's being, I'm being challenged with in number two. So take this and allow God to use it to break up the fallow ground of your heart. Church, let us get the plows out this week. Run the word of God over our hearts. And then finally, a little prayer to help us with our unbelief. It's a, it's a father's prayer from Mark 9, verse 24. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Are you beat up today? Would it seem as if your dreams have been dashed? Are you a mere shadow of what you once were? Offer this father's desperate prayer. I believe. I want to believe more. Help me to dream the dreams you want for me, God. Help me to see the promises in the scriptures and embrace them. Perhaps you would say to yourself, I've watched these life action videos. I've listened to the personal testimonies that we have offered over the past few weeks. And I don't find myself in a crisis like the people in these videos or these testimonies. I kind of find myself not high, not low. I'm I'm somewhere in between. Well, maybe you won't make a video. (laughs) But the whole point of this is just to, to draw close to God. That's what we're doing life action for. One of the pillars, one of the reasons, one of the purposes of our church is ongoing repentance. And life action helps us with that. Some of our people in our church family like to know what the goals are. So what's the overall purpose? What's the goal of life action? You see it there in the conclusion. It's just to say yes to God. So whatever God would have you to do during that week, just to say yes to it. To me, that would be a success. It may be something just earth-shattering. It may be something very affirming like, Yes, Lord, you, you have me on the right path. There is an opportunity before us, church family. Let us not be like Nazareth, missing that opportunity. Let us learn from their folly and prepare ourselves this week for this great opportunity God has given to us. And may it begin right now. My prayer is that we would experience revival, that God's presence would be with us even before the trucks arrive. And they would come and say, what's going on here? Well, God is is already here. We're already experiencing revival. Come and join us in it. But may it begin here. May it begin with me. May it begin with you. What I'd like to do now is as Ethan comes, is let's just commit this time to say, God, you've given to me, you've given to us an opportunity. Before we conclude our service today, let's just resolve this. I'm not going to miss this. It's not going to be said of me and my family that we're like Nazareth. It's not going to be said of Highland Crest that we're like Nazareth. No, there's an opportunity before us. And we want to seize it. So let me just have a word of prayer. I'm going to allow you to pray right where you're at. 
you want to sit right where you're at, you can. If you want to come here to the altar, you can. Let's just offer a prayer. Say, God, I don't want to miss it. What you want to do in my life and in the life of our church. Would you pray? Father, what a blessing we have before us. Thank you for the word here that not only tells us what to do, but what not to do. Just with absolute clarity. And forgive us if we've been resistant to you. We've been offended by the clear teaching of you. If we've said, hey, I'm familiar with Jesus, and we thought that that equates with just being a follower of yours. If we've hardened our hearts towards you, grant us the grace this week to break up the fallow ground of our heart, that we would be receiving the seed that would be planted in the coming days. And Lord, for those maybe have been beaten up and are weary and the, the belief is, is faded that you put a new song, a new joy, and a new hope within us to say that the greatest days are still ahead of us. And just help me to know what you want. I'm available. You just let me know what you want, and I'm, I'm a yes to that. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the grace that is given to us through Jesus. So we depend on him now. Help us to commit our ways to you, to trust you, and to not miss this opportunity that is before us. In Jesus' name, amen.